G'day and welcome to the Fly Fisher Podcast. Since 1967, we've been spreading the bug of fly fishing. Join us as we celebrate the fun of fly fishing and chat with characters that enjoy it as much as we do. Whether you're just starting out or have some experience, we hope our ego-free commentary helps demystify fly fishing and inspires you to visit new places and try new techniques. That's Eminem. Yeah, oh, it's, it's M&M. like Jeez. a Murray Cod theme. <laughs> the um, well, welcome everyone. The ultimate. Pop- welcome to the podcast. We've got this a bit Cam McGregor and Roscoe. Yeah, I'm here too. And Peter. Hey, how, how you going? Peter, what is your surname? I actually don't know your surname. Coles, spelt like the supermarket. It's <laughs> yeah. a, a different Peter to the usual Peter. Um, and Peter's a bit more of a celebrity than our special guest here this evening, actually, because he's the he's the whale finder. Oh, <laughs> yeah. supposedly Migaloo. <laughs> he found Migaloo. Not really Migaloo. Uh, just really quickly, briefly, just tell us a story about how you found that. Well, I didn't actually find it, but I was the first one to actually be stupid enough to go over and take photos of it. And uh, I actually so kayaked across the other side of Malakuta Lake in my were, kayak. You were tipped off? I was tipped off, yes. A couple of uh, locals had seen it from the boat yeah, right. on the way back from uh, catching some abs. Why did they not go ashore and check it out? Oh, because it's too hard to land there and get yeah. back out. Yeah. Go so breaking surf and stuff like that. So you basically stole all the glory. I did. <laughs> Good on you. Well, a- ABC's biggest personality. <laughs> the, pre- the premise was to go over, and there's a lot of really old dottery people in Malakuta who probably would never have seen it. So I took some pictures, yeah. loaded it up onto the local Facebook page, and it just went nuts after yeah, that. Didn't it? No. You're, anyway, you're a big deal, and we're, we're very privileged to be graced with your presence this evening. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, the real idea with uh, tonight's pod- today's podcast tonight, if you're listening at night time, I guess, <laughs> is to sit down with Cam McGregor and talk about fly fishing f- for cod specifically. Is that what you want to talk about, Cam? Or you know, um, yeah, more than happy to talk about cod on fly. I guess you've got to you, you do like trout as well, though. I p- honestly probably split myself pretty much fifty fifty between the two from a guiding point of view. Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble uh, with this podcast for not giving you a decent introduction. So That's okay. Um, Cam McGregor, the uh, head guide at River Escapes, uh, the North sea, northeast best fly fishing guiding operation. Stop it. Yep, headed up you. by yourself and the lovely Katie. Ably assisted, yeah. <laughs> the real brains behind the business. Yeah, yeah steadies the ship. She does. Um but uh, how long have you been operating up there in the northeast now? Eleven years at least. Oh, I'm trying to think. I actually sat down and worked it out properly there. I think that was early COVID. The twelfth season this year. I think. Wow. Yeah. And still going strong. Um, before that, though, you were guiding as well, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So started. More. Yeah. Well, most people that know me like. Huge background, I guess, fisheries research work, still do a fair bit today. Um, after I worked for New South Wales Fisheries up at Narandra for what was that, four and a half years, um, moved down to Snobs Creek, literally, I'm like, I need to get back into my trout fishing and, and deer hunting as well, so like, pretty probably the best place to do it at that stage and with a, with a job. 
So, yeah, worked for Vic Fisheries out of Snobs Creek when they still had a research component there. Was there for three and a half years and basically f- started working on the weekends for the guys at the Fly Fishing Centre. So, yeah. So that was just weekend work for you whilst yeah. working full-time with the fishery stuff? Yeah, or? yeah. So cool. it was just fish, 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 more fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a problem, mate. Oh, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, I'll happily, yeah, more than, yeah, give those guys props too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they got me into it, so. No, that's cool. And Goulburn Valley Fly Fishing Centre still operating there and doing a great job with, with Bo and Anthony. Yeah. Um, and did you learn a lot in those early days guiding, just dealing with um, with clients and, and the whole guiding relationships? 100%. And I'll straight up say too that from a trout fishery, so yeah, look, yeah, can't gloss over the fact that, yeah, like, look after clients, all that sort of stuff. But from a technical trout fishery point of view, like, if you, I'd say, get half a game sorted out on a river, like a Goulburn, it's like that skill set you take anywhere. Right. So that's a yeah. pretty complex oh, river. Hatch-based fishery. Yeah. Yeah. Seasonal. But, yeah, I honestly think, if yeah, if you can get the Goulburn wired or feel like you've wired it a little bit, you can... Take that skill set anywhere and apply it. Basically, I got a quick question. Can you remember your first guide who you took and where you took him? It was a guy out the back of the fly fishing centre. I can't remember his name. Um, you haven't like brought him in or something. Like he's not going <laughs> yeah, to. No, no, no. <laughs> you're not allowed to say his name anyway. Yeah. For, the, for the purpose of this podcast, let's just call him John. Yeah. <laughs> no, John. John Walk. No, sorry, Ant called me up and he's like oh yeah you rostered down um like you've already been you know sort of helping out with people around the store like getting them started casting whatever things and because at that stage i was still at the the old center so the old mud brick building between or just on the 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 yield side of thornton there um but yeah so yeah i do remember it yeah it was a, like a first thing saturday morning yeah, I just wonder how you go from, you know, helping out in the shop or whatever you did to then, boom, first guide. And then I guess after your first guide, you're just into it, are you? Yeah, it was, to be honest, like, it's it was kind of a bit of a, without trying, like, my head's big enough already. We've already talked <laughs> about it. Like, we cannot about find a beanie to fit. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it is cold up here. Yeah. <laughs> Custom-made beanies. But it was... Like, because we've all now been in the game long enough that we've we've done that apprenticeship with people or tried to give them that 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 better foot into the door than maybe what some of us had. Like, it was kind of a we didn't really like bang you into it sort of thing. So it was there was an an initiation. As yeah, such. there was definitely before it, but at the same same time, like it's like Ant threw me into it because he knew that like he'd been in the game long enough too. And like he knew that I had that aptitude. You could handle it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. And it's it's not just catching fish. Obviously, there's so many, just so, yeah, there's a huge dynamic behind it, basically. How big a part of it is just getting uh, the guy that you've got on board with you on the boat or the guy that you're fishing with on the bank, just getting them motivated to fish from nine to five, eight hours straight, getting them to make the shots that you want them to make to in order to catch fish, just keeping them on point the whole time. Um, I try and incorporate a bit of humour into it wherever I can. Um, you got to. Yeah. And, like, as, as I think I'll say, like, for me personally, I'll say from the get-go, 
and it's still true to this day. Like, I'm getting a bit older now. Like, I'll say to people straight up, okay, the problem here today is going to be I'm going to want to keep fishing from a guiding point of view. I want you to set the day. So we'll stay out probably later than we should. And I still do that to this day now. Yeah. And But at the same time, it's 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 getting them to feel that there's that level of confidence behind the day that we're going to have almost. And like like I spend all this time trying to catch one of the hardest fish on any method, really, cod. So a huge part of its motivation. Um, oh, like, yeah, Ross goes fish with me in a few different waterways now for cod and I don't know. That's Has he I'm been trying. the hardest client you've ever had? Oh, so much. Just that level of expectation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, you're guaranteed to catch fish if you go with Cam, right? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> no, like <laughs> trout, hell yeah. <laughs> trout, those things are easy. Pigeons, rats with fins. How many hours does Roscoe keep you out on the water for? I'd imagine it's a long day. No, I'd say I'd still probably set the time. It's, and it's <laughs> normally with cod, like for me, it's we're either going to start early and, and – this time of year, we pretty much fish a, f- a full day, sun up to sundown, because it's we haven't got as long a day. So we were on the water a long time last night. We were. We started just before dark. Yeah, we didn't. I think yeah, it was about eleven, twelve ish by the time we got back. Yeah, which in the cod world's not unusual. No, yeah. and it, you know it was good. You got to go hard. Yeah, you do. Um, While we're thinking about fly fishing in the dark, are there any things that you need to think about? <laughs> just try and act confident for everybody. Yeah, but no, like I like I think. Today the guys might have, like, I think I was talking to you at one stage when we were down the back of the boat, we are cruising between spots. He's looking at Peter and yeah. talking sorry, to Peter. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> podcast land. Yeah, I'm going to teach everyone how to tie a knot next. Um, and I said, oh, yeah, that's where you were last night. And you're like, what? I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's it's having a really good understanding of where you're going. And and that, for anyone that, like, I've fished a lot at night personally, way before I started guiding. Trout, cod, like, most of my big fish have come at night, to be honest. And um, for a beginner starting out that wants to go into some night farm fishing, what are you recommending spending lots of time and daylight hours on the lake to learn it or using a GPS or some sort of equipment? I'm so old school. Like, I've got God knows how many dollars wrapped up in that boat now with electronics, and I'm still, like, looking at moons and hill shapes. And Like, did, we, did I turn a torch on last night at all when we are driving around? Uh, when oh. we crashed into a few bits of timber, I think. <laughs> so he's mastered it. Yeah. <laughs> All that local knowledge. I think I was untangling your line when we drifted into that tree. So <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I think it's knowing your, your chosen waterway, no matter if you're on foot or in a boat. Um, paying attention. Paying right? attention. Yeah. During, like, do it during the day first, by all means. Like... Get to know it, but then, like, we all want to tear around in the dark and go quick, but that's when stuff goes bad. Sure. Like, only out here a couple of weeks ago, like, I met the SES car back at the ramp here at Eildon, and, yeah, some young guys come to grief, basically. Like, they, yeah, so it was a rescue out there. At so 10, don't be cocky. Do yeah. the prior work yeah. just to, to make sure you, takes you, you five, understand. Takes it. Like, I sound like a grandpa, like, telling you, I know, if you drive, towing the caravan, go a bit Dad. slower. Yeah, but <laughs> realistically, like, yeah, get confident. And then in the daytime, you don't drive around at 50 k's an hour in the dark, basically. Just just chill out a bit. 
And do you think a GPS is kind of worthwhile? You can follow your tracks uh, back out if you do get, you know, kind of bushwhacked. 100% if you've never been there before or you, you're getting to know it. Like the technology is there to help you, but at the same time it's not the be-all to end-all. No, it's not going to see that piece of tree floating. This lake's come up, what, 10% in the last week in a bit. Um, it's a different lake, isn't it? It's different to when I was here a week ago and there's stuff floating, <laughs> there's trees floating that haven't yeah. floated for 10 years. I mean, you saw a, a tree floating and you said that's the type of thing you'd hit at midnight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's not a small tree; it's a it's a big tree, yeah. mature tree. Yeah, so just take your time, and even if you hit a log subsurface or above the surface, at least it's not going to be any real damage, right? No, exactly. If you're going to hit something, you'd rather hit it at five k's an hour and not fifty. Yeah, lakes just change so dramatically, so quickly after heavy rain or drought. Yeah, like drier, drier times when lakes are at an all time lows. That to me presents some dangers that are just mm. so prevalent that you've got to be wary of hey like the lakes where you could normally just zoom between a, a an island and, a, and a, a point so easily and normally you're in 20 feet of water yeah um you've just got to be wary of that and these steep-sided lakes like eildon dartmouth now we're in that real filling phase of what we haven't seen water like this since 2013 was probably the last we had real high water like we've got going to have this year and like it's just that increment increase like there's trees i don't know if you guys know today i was like tear across the lake and then i just randomly slow down but there's no trees there that's because i was like only feet above the tops of literally huge gum trees yeah i could see those <laughs> yeah that are, that are now that have just gone under in the last week and a bit wow so old mate in his malibu ski boat <laughs> <laughs> yeah comes well, unstuck yeah hello summer <laughs> Well, that would be great to lose a few of those guys. <laughs> no, it's just the jet skis. Just the jet skis. Yeah, just the jet skis. Now the Malibu guys can stick around. Yeah. They're enjoying it just like we are. Um, but, I, yeah, it'd be nice to kind of keep this podcast more basic for people that are just interested in giving fly fishing for cod a go, I guess. You yeah. know, like you're obviously a wealth of knowledge and it would be like, like so good to get into some more in-depth fly fishing for cod talk but let's just try and keep it a bit basic um let's just maybe draw a bit of a comparison between still water fly fishing for cod and rivers what are the differences so the biggest fundamental difference is we have current in one environment i'd say there's two main differences we've got current in a river obviously Uh, we've got we've still got pool habitats but we've got current so we've got to deal with current in a lake, we don't have current. We have current per se. Like a lake's still a dynamic environment, but we don't have, like, you know, visual current as such. But then feeding into that, probably the two main differences would be fly size and how we present those flies. Right. So typically in lakes, we're trying to – we're out here for one reason. Like we're, we're slogging away to try and catch big fish. That's why we're here in wintertime. Um and I'll straight up say to people, if you just want to get that tick that first cod off the bat, then you're better off in one of our rivers. Um, typically, river fish are more more inclined to feed. Um, they're not as big and well fed as some of these lake fish, especially in winter. Um, and you can get away with smaller flies. So you're not so out on a lake. We're going to like we're we're using minimum nine sort of ten weight outfits typically. In a river, you can you can get away with an eight a lot of the time with smaller flies like the timber toe that I tie up, and then um, 
we will still throw bigger flies occasionally on rivers, but by and large, but our flies are scaled down a little bit, and we're not casting as long either. We're not, we don't have to cover as much water. Are the fish a bit more stationary in rivers than they are in lakes? Um, when they're in a feeding mode, for sure. Yeah. So rivers, by their nature, cod are, cod are largely a structure orientated fish, um, and then so they're basically going to be on the edges that first couple of metres out, unless we get a snag sort of mid-current. Um, lake fish, especially when they want to feed, we're seeing, like, we're still to this day learning so much about these fish in lakes. Like, their their behaviour appears very different to, to river fish. Um, they're moving around a lot more, um, and they're responding. They're, pelagic's not the right term, but they're out in open water a lot more, especially when they want to feed. But the same side of the coin, now with this technology we're running, when they're shut down on a day like we had today, we saw three fish when we know how many millions of cod have been stocked into this lake. So, Yeah, do you want to briefly just, um, I don't want to talk in depth about it, but do you want to talk briefly about the technology that you're using on the old boat? Yeah, so it's the, by all means, not the only person running it. Like this live technology now is sort of, it's been a huge game changer. Um, I'll straight up say that it's really, it's really divided. Of all the fishing communities in Australia, the the cod scene, it's really divided people. Like, yeah, there's people getting, I'll, I'll just straight up getting a bit emotional about it. Um, and I get it. Like, you know, we've, we've all spent days out there casting, casting, casting. We get that fish, we're so rewarded. And then we're seeing people that appear to be overnight sensations because they're running this live technology. So I get it, but at the same side of the coin, it's it's pretty cool stuff. You've still got to get that fish to eat. It, it, and I just want to say that if anyone thinks that, you know, it, it, this is easy, Lights, it, yeah, yeah. it is not, not an easy way to fish. And maybe yeah. you can explain a little bit about why that is. You've still got to be super accurate. And then we're trying to do it with fly rods too. Yeah. So conventional, like it, it's, it's a fair bit easier, I'd say, straight up to present present on this live stuff with with conventional gear we can weight lures and things and and really run them on top of fish really well and with a fly we've got to compensate with super fast sinking line um let's say probably running lines double the sink rate and what i used to run just to try and get in position on a fish but then at the same side that fish moves left or right a little bit we've got to strip it in real quick and yeah, I think for me personally, um, you can see roughly where the fish is or, or almost exactly where the fish is. But to put a cast there, uh, it, it's not easy. Like, it's a totally no. different story. No. And if you're two inches off on the boat, that's two foot at 20 metres. Mm. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just when working at angles and stuff, we're still learning a lot. And I'll hand up. It's... We, at least from the fly side of things. I think the conventional stuff's pretty dialed. Yeah. But um, it's different too because we're presenting to a stationary – well, not a, not a stationary at all, sorry. We're presenting to a single fish. It's not like we're casting into a school of fish. Like when you're casting into a school of, say, redfin on this stuff, it's – yeah, it's pretty lights out. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I've kind of lost my, my track of thought a little bit, but – um. Yeah, it, for anyone that thinks, you know, you find a fish, there it is, you cast to it, it 
you have to. It's hard to explain over this kind of median, but it's not that easy. No, it's not. You've no. got you've got wind. You've got the boat moving. Um, you've got an electric going. You've got some guy trying to position the boat to where they can see a fish. And just because you can see that fish, it is not a guarantee. No, it's not. And fishing the, these days that maybe aren't ideal. Do you think live scope and and the technology is what's enabled being able to fish those bad days, but still be in with a chance. No, because it's still it, it, you would still fish these days even pre the technology. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, well, for me personally, from a guiding point of view, I'm like you kind of in a way is forced out into conditions you would normally fish, and we've seen stuff that has changed um, thoughts a little bit. Like, yeah, fish will still feed. Like to be honest, we're sitting here right now. Of, like we walked away from dinner at the the mighty Redfin Inn, and <laughs> first thing I looked up, it's I'm a good like, feed. it is not a bad feed. I first thing I did like early day, like as a kid growing up in Corowa, I looked straight in the trees. I'm like, there's not a breath of wind. No, you're dead right. <laughs> and we've worked our butts off the last two days, and it's been windy and hard. And my brain's like, eh, probably should be out there. Yeah, and. So, so a lack of wind can uh, increase your chances using this technology, just not drifting off the spot so quick and being able to get winds, the shot. Wind's a big a thing, but honestly, wind's a big thing with cod in general. Right. Um, as far as catching fish that you – okay, so it's probably when fish are active, it's increasing your chances at fish by all means because you've already got a fish in that feeding mode. You can see that quite well. But if you want to find a fish on this technology when they're shut down, they're still very hard to find. And you can still go over the top of a fish and not even know it's there if it hasn't moved at all. So, yeah, it's it's increased, It's definitely increasing the catch rate of big fish, I'll straight up say it. 100% it is. Yep. Oh, that's good. <laughs> well, maybe we touch on the gear you need to well maybe we touch on flies a little bit and then we can go on the tech the gear that you need to cast a fly like that yep what do you want to do first i'm gonna get a drink is that okay yeah it's fine yeah. peter would you like a red <laughs> he said yes <laughs> thank you so much how big are the flies that you're typically casting maybe in a lake and then maybe touch on just a river fly as well yeah so lake anywhere from it's funny, like fly size, I still um, measure in inches for some reason. Um, four to the real big stuff, up to 12 inches in size. Um, nine's kind of a bit of a happy medium for me. And that sort of six and nine inch size, I, I think, are two good sizes. Yeah, cool. And I was casting a fly today that had like a, I don't know what you call it. Would you call it a dragon's tail? Yeah, so um, I've got, I've, um, personally gained a lot of motivation and insight from from the pike scene, pike and muskie scene in, in the Northern Hemisphere. So particularly the pike stuff out of Europe, the Scandinavian countries. Um, and, yeah, there's a wiggle tail made by the, the Pacarini wiggle tail thing. I know that uh, hairline do it like a Cohen's tail or something. Yeah, like it's not the well. Cohen's one. This one comes out of Scandinavia. Um, okay. I've forgot the gentleman's name, but he's uh, he really like he worked in closely. I know Nicholas Bauer is quite a famous fly tire from over there, and just what the, what they've managed to do over there with flies. And honestly, a lot of the, it's, a lot of the techniques cross over very well with what we do here. So um, 
yeah, so that that wiggle tails are great. Um, still throwing a lot of bucktail and things in into flies. Basically, we're trying to create that that level of illusion almost. So we've got this we've got this big platform. You look at it as a fly angler, and you're like, "What the hell? I'm going to need a 14 weight rod." But no, you don't. We're building a fly on a like. Don't get me wrong; they're still not the easiest things to cast, but we're greatly aided now with with lines and things as well and then we're we're building on a platform of a fly that's um float like looks huge in the water to a fish but we can still cast it so we're incorporating a lot of synthetic materials or and or bucktail and things like that as well i might just ask peter a question here sure um so we did a trip that's very similar to this last year and what was the biggest thing that stood out to you about cod fishing when you first did it uh well in particular here deep water Getting the fly down, big heavy flies, big heavy flies, big heavy flies. Difficult, and, uh, different to cast, eh? Hey? Difficult to cast, yeah. It's just definitely incredibly different to trout. Um, I fish a lot of twig water, and that's just easy in comparison to this. The other thing too is you know we're we're front and back, we're fore and aft on a boat, and uh, like today for instance, I was working on my backhand most of the time. Yeah, and um, you you kind of got to learn how to do that. It's good. It's a good skill. And I was happy to do that all day because, you know, at some stage I'm going to have to learn how to do it properly. And so uh, it was, yeah. So that was the wind's fault as well. Like In my mind, I've got this plan to spin the boat around so you can cast on your preferred side as well. I was doing that to some (laughs) extent because at some stages we had, you know, uh, in front front and back we had um, snags all around us, which was all right, but... But that's probably the biggest thing for you is is the casting of those big flies. Yeah, the casting of the heavy flies. When I, when I first came up here, last last, well, fortunately caught a fish, which was great. Um, that was the biggest thing, just getting that fly, keeping it in the air, getting the rod to bend properly, you know, getting the the line to shoot out, all of that sort of stuff. And Cam was great, just getting me on there and teaching me what I'm doing wrong and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing. And it's a big rod too. It's like a bigger heavy rods, um, mm. sinking lines, all that sort of stuff. And of course, the sinking line you've got to pull that right out of the water. You can't; it's not floating. You mm. can't just lift it up and and haul it. Well, we got some good, you know, gear available to us, Cam, um, nowadays that that can help with that. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So I think not too long ago, everyone associated. Bigger rod weight, so I'd say eight, probably eight up. That we all wanted these super fast action cannon rods, um, and a lot of it fed into the coming from the saltwater environment where fast was best. So um, and small flies, right? Yeah, a lot of the time smaller flies, um, but even even a little bit bigger stuff, I guess too. And and then. Outside looking in a little bit too, I think we went from, I'd say once you got like 12 weights, 12 and above, and then like, re- and probably even to this day still that you're talking, and I'm elaborating a bit here, but just to give people an idea about how fly rods work in bigger sizes, that once you get above 12, I'd say that they're as much about fish fighting tools as casting rods, because um, you thought you're talking like stupid big tuna and marlin and minky whales and stuff like that. <laughs> club them with a krill pattern or something but um i know that 
like even myself, not too long ago, my thought process was when I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, and I did. I, I I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build because I've got, I've got this crossover with the conventional scene on the cot as well. Like I, I still take little clients out a bit of, for cot as well, and then like the sw- the whole swim bait scene hit 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 hard basically. And like big cod were eating swim baits, and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever for people. And my brain's just like, hang on. We can do this on a fly rod. Yeah, and so the swim bait scene's coming over to fly now. What is a swim bait, though? Is that not just a lure? Yeah, but it's like dry fly merger, mayfly, you know, it's like there's so many different little sub-niches within the whole lure scene. So, so is a swim bait a soft plastic or a hard body? It can or be both. Right. Typically just big, looks like a fish in the water. Yeah, so they're not bibbed. They don't have a Some bib are bibbed. Shit, it's complex. It's well, jointed. Yeah. Like I thought fly jointed. fishing was difficult. Yeah, <laughs> some people call some certain flies swim bait flies. They do. Yeah, and that's feeding into the whole. It's the same with the muskie and pike. It's a, it's this exact same thing. There's like this crossover fusion, for want of a better term, where both sides are giving inspiration to either side. Like now, there's like. Um, feathered hooks are turning up again on swim baits, on big soft plastic swim baits. And you can stick, like, I had a guy last year, he's like, tie me up, like, just those bits of rabbit fur, I want to swing them off the back of a surface lure. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. So there's this crossover where, and and ideas are getting exchanged, I guess. But my brain straight up was like, thought about it the wrong way straight up and i still see it to this day especially in the cod stuff it's like okay big fly need a big rod fly's going to be heavy that 12 weight's going to do it for me anyone you might have done it in costa rica for a couple of hours a day Mm, it's hard work what's it like swinging off a 12 weight all day it's rubbish (laughs) it really is 10's better and it's got better with purely with line technology i'd say but and, and then feeding into and then I know like the, looking at the guys with their musky fishing. If anyone international is looking, they're probably like tearing the hair out. Twelves are becoming popular again now, but I think too they're on this more progressive um, action style of rod. So we're not talking fast rods. Yeah. So are we talking freshwater actions in saltwater rods, or is that too simplistic? I think it's too simplistic because. In my mind, we have these advertising juggernauts that are really good at selling us different action rods. It's almost like, depending on what the mood of the angling community is like. <laughs> oh, well, fair, so fair is the rod built for the angling community or is the yeah. <laughs> is it the other way around? Like not, not that long ago, like saltwater rods, before the whole fast wave took off, saltwater rods were an easier casting rod. But then... It's like, well, yeah, it's so, it's, I know you talk with Renee, like I listened to Renee's podcast the other day too. It's like. He's an avid listener, folks. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I drive way too much and tie <laughs> too many flies. But it's, yeah, it's, I think where we're at now, it's, it's almost feels like it's a kind of a happy medium now where rods, not even not just cod stuff, but rods feel like they're doing a bit more work by and large now. Like. I personally don't feel like I'm driving rods as hard, even in trout fishing now, with with that pair up of line technology and where where we're at with rod action. So, 
I know I'm getting down a rabbit hole and sort of going off target here, but to bring it back to where we were at, the whole cod fly, big fly work, and with a lot of inspiration from we're, we're basically using, we're bending, rods are bending more for us, but basically it's it's a facilitating an easier casting stroke and it's actually aiding us to cast these bigger flies. Well, you had a little bit of experience actually developing a rod for cod. Do you want to touch on that at all? Yeah, so I used to do a bit of work for Vision in Australia and we wanted, we were keen to, as a group, to bring a rod to the Australian market suited for Australian fishing conditions. So we very easily could have just badged up another, yet another fast action sort of mid-price rod and put it on the market. So instead... The focal point of that campaign, I guess, was that we wanted to create a rod that would work equally as well up north for fish like barra and and sort of that snag bashing style fishing up there and then work just as well down here for us for the cod style, cod fishing as well. So there was two, what, are we, what, are the, what is it, eight, four, nine weight? Eight foot four, nine weight? Yep. And a nine foot ten weight. Yeah. And they're two very different base rods. Um, the idea behind the nine weight was that, that that sort of shorter shorter rod, very good sort of shorter range work, super accurate rod, great for punching in on the mangroves if you're up north or for down here if you're in a smaller river for super accurate casts over shorter shorter distances to structure. So very similar styles of fly fishing. They are. They're extremely similar. Like I, every time I go up north, I can't help it. Like, okay, I'm just gonna. At least if you're in Australia, like I'm gonna. Like mangrove jacket, cool shit. They're like they're great, aren't they? They're like cod, but they eat all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so aggressive. And there's so many similarities. Like I know I've had you, Andrew, like up on our northeast rivers chasing cod, and it's just so many similarities. Yeah. And you want to get that accurate cast into structure, and we didn't want to go with a super. We didn't want to go with a fast rod. And it's not just vision. Like, you see these shorter rods. That there's almost a, there's a bit of a trend sort of coming in now. That, and you can generate super, like, incredible line speed off a shorter rod as well. Maybe not as good for a longer cast. Well, definitely not as good for a longer cast. Like, personally, I, I my the way I fish, I still really like a 9-foot rod. So the 9-foot 10 weight as well was a, a rod in the series. Like, it was for that big fly work. Um was a great rod on it is a great rod on the flats too. I fished on the flats a fair bit. Um, it's it's a, it's an easy rod for people. They don't. It was when I say easy rod for people that um, that intermediate angler who's making that next step doesn't pick up this thing that feels literally like a broomstick, and you don't have to drive it too hard. So anyone can feel this rod load in their hands. Hundred percent makes for that more intuitive casting. Yeah, hundred percent. And you're gonna f- that rod's gonna work for you as much as you want to work it. Yeah. So that it's a uh, what do we call it? More a more a mid flex profile. Like it's a deeper bending blank. For yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would say that it, it flexes all the way down to the core. Yeah. Yep. You know, we haven't actually said what Rob we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, for the listeners, um, it's the Vision Down Under series of, of rods uh, that we've got good stock of at the Fly Fisher and are running a promo on at the moment. Uh, just a very subtle plug there, folks. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, we do a package at five ninety nine, which are normally well over eight hundred bucks in price. So that won't last forever. Um, but they are a bloody good rod for the money and um, designed specific for perfect for purpose um these days though cam you are fishing uh, i guess a more premium option for your cods around that fifteen hundred dollar mark so for people that are in that sort of price range what are you fishing currently uh scott sector in a 10 yeah so and and i've got an eight as well that was you've got it optimized perfectly i must admit yeah a bit of thought went into that so it's set up for my thought process was two environments with that Scott for now. Like it's got, like obviously we've got full suite, so we can talk for an hour. I don't think it's appropriate tonight, but we can talk completely. It's talk. just boring as shit, yeah. mate. Let's and move I, on. And I know, I know, <laughs> I know you've talked fly lines and stuff as well, but um, in the past on episodes, but like if you're thinking sink rates in lines, like you're going to do your head in even more when you really get into it. And uh, I yeah. know I've heard you say, "Oh, you only need." An intermediate tip line. And, yeah, maybe 80% of the fishing I do with people, yeah. But then this year's going to be different. We've got super high. We're going to have high water on rivers this year. Well, what I did want to mention is that just buying the rod or just having a rod's not good enough. You've got to optimise the line as well, right? I'd nearly say line's over 50% of the equation these days. And these basically integrated shooting head styles and lines like they've made life a lot easier so on that sector i'm running a streamer max short airflow and yeah. it's a cannon it is and I, I fished that for most of the day today um fished that sink tip line yesterday and um it's optimized really well it's a bloody premium setup but yeah. you've also put a bit of thought into the reel as well do you want to just briefly chat about that it's there's probably the simplest thing i I've always liked lightweight fly reels, and but that's you purposely went like the lightest reel you could find, right? No, nearly with that one. Um, I think I've got a guru on that one. So, but I've that 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 feeds into to like watching people come up with their and and by all means you can because people people at least in the southern part of Australia are gonna. And, and think this way too. Like, I know I've, I've, I've said this before when I've presented at the Fly Fisher. I know I have. And it's like, just remember that you, you're going... Normally you go up north once, maybe twice a year if you're super lucky. You're going to have an 8 and a 10 weight outfit typically because you now covers everything up there. And then your rod's just going to sit in the cupboard and do nothing for 12 months. Come on, buy a couple of different lines. And then you've got... You can go and chase cod. And when we've got these shit drought years that like Australia is famous for, like it doesn't feel like it at the moment, but you can still chase cod on those stinking hot days when the trout are like, oh, I don't know if I'm about to die or let alone eat a dry fly. Survival. Yeah. So <laughs> what I'm getting at is just, you've already got the you've already got the rod to go out and give it a go. So by all means do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we're we are spoiled for venues. You love saying venues, Roscoe. <laughs> Mate, it's a very English it's term. It's such a pommy thing to say. It is. It, it's true. It, it's great. It does work, though, that term. Mm. Um, so spoil for places to go. And a lot of regional areas that have these waterways that are just on their doorstep and the idea of travelling a long way to get it is just pretty foreign. No, and cod especially, like, I know you and I have spoken about it, like, 
you being to Nelly Quinn's finest fly fisherman. <laughs> only um, only yeah, fly yeah, fisherman. Yeah. Forbes might say it's a different story. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we found the other one. I heard that and I was like, what the hell is another one? <laughs> <laughs> We're multiplying. So I grew up just upstream of Corowa. So, but like, what we're getting at is when we were kids, like, we saw like two or three cod a year fishing them with every, well, straight up say, we were using a lot of illegal methods to catch fish. And then these these fisheries have bound back hard. Like where we are now is not, it's still an evolving fishery, like being a huge stocked impoundment. So we're still learning a lot and it's not, wasn't that natural environment for the cod. So it's just different, like comparing lake fish to river fish is still quite different. So I just want to briefly chat. Do you think in Ilden, where we are now, that there was cod before they stocked it? Oh, there was, yeah. Yeah, cool. So it wasn't, it is natural? No. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) So when I bluntly say no, it's because the population, so there was isolated pockets of fish from, so the oldest age Murray cod ever was 49 years old so off the top of my head i think the first day like early da- sugarloaf dam which was like the first lake yielding where i think it was 1950s i'm not sure google that one <laughs> but back check folks yeah no one cares <laughs> yeah yeah sorry i get i geek out way too hard i know but there's there is you can still argue and say there's still possibly fish in here that originate from the first construction at Eildon. But there was only ever dribs and draps. And like Did the Goulburn have cod before Eildon yes. was dammed? But they just they didn't before, yeah, they did, but someone correct me if I'm wrong, but you'd only ever hear very occasional fish after Eildon was 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 built. So the I guess most of the reports so I was with Vic Fisheries and living down here before these huge stockings of cod started, fish were getting put in regularly at the dam wall and we'd, we'd catch fish up there regularly, cod. And then the other smattering was in the Delatide Island. And I was always of the belief and the opinion that the Delatite fish originated back to original Eildon wild fish. But then I think there are up to two million cod stocked in the place now, and you can't tell me that it's now a natural with inverted commas fishery. Does that is is that of concern to you at all? Like, not it, personally, it, no. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think stocked impoundment fisheries for cod are fantastic. Yeah, we're talking to a scientist here, guys. So yeah. I'm just indulging him for a second. Hope you don't mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think and and from a like. From a an injection into the freshwater fishing scene in Australia, like it's not just cod. It's like inland, it's fish like golden perch or yellow belly. Like from natives over the coast, it's fish like bass. They've added this whole other element to our recreational fishery that we never had. And they've propped up wild fisheries to the point where we can leverage off the ability for the stocking, like stocked impoundments are, ta- are absorbing a lot of recreational pressure while we can essentially rehabilitate a lot of these fisheries that w- would have essentially just got hit a lot harder. And I'm not just talking recreationally, I'm talking 
just um so in a way we're turning back the sands of time aren't we we're sort of uh turning things to a point where had human intervention not taken place at all we're getting to that point where there's enough fish there now that uh it's almost like nothing happened yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got so far to go, especially in um, rivers and things. And, and from it's just, yeah, it's an absolute minefield. It really is. And but what, what kind of pressure do you think recreational fishing has on these this resource? I'd say the this day and age fairly minimal. And our biggest challenges are with water management. Habitat loss, per se, um, and the rate of change that we've seen in our lifetimes. Like, we're sitting here now, what are we? You and I are sort of the later age of 30, but just, I don't think you're 21, Ross. And Pete, you're <laughs> don't look at me. Yeah, 24. <laughs> but um, he looks younger than us, doesn't he, Cam? <laughs> I don't think so. He's so fit. It's all the great. Like, overall, in our lifetime, Simplistically, I'd say we've seen, at least on mainland Australia, we've seen the fishery improve, I'd say overall, like from a happiness point of view. But if you break it down, the rate of decline in essentially wild fisheries where fish should be looking after themselves without human intervention is like has just gone downhill hugely. But is this the best part of the last 50 years to fish, like right now? Around here, yeah. On a river like the Darling, no. Okay. So say someone is listening to this podcast and they feel inspired to go cod fishing. Where would you say they should start? Um, you know, they, they shouldn't go and spend thousands of dollars on a live scope, go up to Ilden in the night. Hell no. We started this podcast at like the 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 crazy end of stuff where it's at now. Um, go and f- like do your homework. Find a, a small to medium river and and target structure. Well, let's name a few rivers in Victoria. Don't have to be specific locations, but some that they can they can do a bit of research on. Everyone's going to flock to the first river you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> you know my life's getting hard in this department. We've talked about this. There's no secrets at the fly fish. Uh, the ovens, the broken. Ovens broken. Call it no. Murray, um, anywhere along the Murray. What have we got? Oven's broken. What Murray. about Kiwa? No, it's terrible. The no. Lodden. There's fish in the Kiwa. The Lodden. Said Ken Paspi. The Yarra. The Lower Goulburn. Everyone go to the Yarra because yeah. three quarters of the people listening to be from Melbourne. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, we think we've covered most of the more, more. Yeah, basically all the all the Vic Vic any any river that runs into. The Murray has got cod in it. It's that sim- It's that simple. Yeah, and yeah, closer to the Murray you go, probably the more more chance you're going to find. Yeah, and we've got these crossover fisheries. Plus the Yarra. Yeah, <laughs> plus the Yarra. <laughs> we've got these. That's a crazy story, but um, some if yeah, you want to geek out on fish more, by all means, look up the stocking Murray cod into the Yarra and Macquarie perch. Um, but and then on the same side, like maybe start your search. Just look go. Murray Darling Basin map, yeah, and then you realise, holy crap, there's I've a got lot of places. all these potential places, and within within that map, maybe plot a bit of altitude with it as well, and you're going to see that, and and that's the cool thing now 
we're catching cod all the time in rivers that I'd say every week I have a client say to me, you know what, I thought I would have saw a trout today because that's the kind of water we're fishing now for these fish. And it's it's still this it's this point in time where we're like, oh, trout should be here. Or is it the cod were actually here a long time ago and we actually changed stuff and now they're actually just pushing back into where they used to be? Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. So what does a day a guy wants to do, uh, wants to try and try and catch a, a cod on a the fly? They're, they're pretty experienced with uh, their casting and, and they've caught a few trout. What does a day with you look like? Um, so there's a fair bit of... I always try and talk to people before they actually come just so they get a, a real expectation of what they're up for. Um, if they've... If they've got a fairly strong trout background, it's a skill set that's, that's pretty easy to work on. Like if they've got a, a good solid casting stroke, like I'm not about to tie on one of those huge flies that we talked about earlier. Generally, if they're new to it, we're going to be on a river or somewhere like Lake Mulwala where we can target structure through the day and we, we don't have to be bombing long casts a lot of the time like we are on these big impoundments. But generally, I'll try and put them on a river drifting, so... Raft set up or it's a drift boat essentially. I'll be rowing them down the river, back rowing the whole time, and have them casting the structure. So, and then working on retrieves and things like that as well. So, are we, are we starting in the dark, finishing in the dark? What time are generally not like summertime? I'll either I will either start like sort of sun up and then f- then fish through till sort of mid afternoon. A lot of the time, um, though. I like to daylight savings time, like say get on the water 10.30 and then fish through till dark. So we capitalise on that. So low light periods, we often get this cool thing called surface fly fishing and it just adds another element again to our cod fishing. It's like 20 litre bucket getting dropped on the end of your fly line. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, one, one eats it. So, But by and large, it's it's about building on a skill set. So they've already got that skill set from their trout fishing. Like even create, like if they know how to mend a line, we'll even be throwing mends into just to get a fly to sink a little bit deeper under that under that tree, under that log. Um, yeah, just all these different skills that people can build on through the day. How essential is the raft to that style of fishing? How like can you walk a bank of these rivers and be in with a decent shot of catching a cod? Or do you find that casting towards a bank is a big advantage? I think it is a big advantage. Like I, from a guiding point of view, I love it because I'm putting people, I can put people on a fish that they wouldn't be able to get to on foot. It's not 100% essential to get your fish. Like I'll happily go out and fish on foot myself just if I need it for that fix. I think two things. So we've got a, we've got a fish that's, even in a river environment, doesn't want to eat all the time. They've got fat reserves just like me. and But they probably do a better job at utilising them sometimes. <laughs> so they don't have to feed all the time is what I'm getting at. And so those – but when they want to feed, that's when those river fish probably feed a little bit harder than probably their lake, their lake counterparts. So, I've, yeah, I've gone off sideways again, but – Bank or boat? Either. But in a nutshell, the raft, 
drifting a river, we can cover more water. From a guiding perspective, it's a guiding more perspective. It's, it's more productive for me. And yeah. it's it's knowing rivers and it's being out of different angles, work slower or faster on a given section of the river depending on what mood the fish are in on the day. Um, from a on-foot point of view, some rivers have to be fished on foot. Mm. So, and we've got rivers in my area as well that that are smaller. I just realised we didn't mention one of them before. Oh, a secret one. Are you going to mention it now or? You have to. Do I? It's too late. Yeah. Starts with, did we say king before? No, oh, we yeah, didn't the say king. the king. Yeah, yeah. so it's not big. Yeah. yeah. You can't, like, you can put a kayak down, but you're out of your kayak as much as you're in it. So. Yeah. So. As with the broken. Yeah. Uh, the the mitter as well, has yeah, some, has some cod. It's bigger water, yeah. Especially at the moment, it's like eight thousand meg coming in a dart. Basically, they're crapping their pants that darts about to spill, so they don't want to let it spill. Essentially, wow. Um, so yeah, the, the mitter is running very hard at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's almost it's a tail water, and yeah, believe it or not, tail water is just like with the trout situation. It impacts fish, cod especially, quite strongly. So the low water years are the, are the pick of the years to fish rivers like the Midder. Being that, well, funnily enough, the apart from when Dartmouth's nearly full, a river like the Midder fishes better when it's getting run at its lowest, which is in all the other years leading up to the real wet one, mm. when they're banking as much water as possible. So it, it runs more like a natural river. I just want to paint a picture of some river fishing. River fishing for cod scenarios that um, might be quite different, but the the king, for instance, you've got very much looks like trout water, right? And there's areas that are like pocket water. Does that sort of pocket water that we're all familiar with from a trout fishing perspective, does that hold cod? Yeah, and I think probably the biggest eye-opener, and I'll straight up, I'll say it from the bat, that you th- your brain's like, got to find the biggest, deepest, darkest hole. That's where the cod will be. And a lot of people have that mindset. Trout fishing as well. A lot of the time we're catching cod out of water that you're like, how did that fish even have water over its back? They're in super shallow spots. I've just remembered your fish from underneath that willow tree when we started out that day. <laughs> I love that he remembers yeah. it as vividly as I do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's weird. I'll come back to where cod hold, but like I see, I think I remember every cod, a client's cod. I really think I do. And there's been a fair few now. But trout, it's like, oh, yeah, I know that runs. always got fish in it. I know that slots should have a fish in it. I don't know. They just they just imprint in my brain a lot stronger, I guess. But, yeah, so cod will hold – they're an ambush predator, essentially, especially in, in that river environment. And they if they can tuck in behind – like, you can pretty much catch them on the edge of rapids some days if there's enough – Enough of a pocket there that they can sit in behind a rock and not work hard. Um, so they're not a fish that's going to work hard. They're not going to be in that main current, are they? No. But if there's a shallow bit of calm water, they're inclined to get in there. 100%, yeah. Or if they can park in behind a log, let the current, let the log deflect all that current past them and then just duck in and out of the current and grab their food. Yeah. So would you say they're borderline just a little bit more lazy than a trout maybe? I knew the lazy word was going to come in 
I think highly efficient predator is a <laughs> highly efficient, yeah. well adapted. Like Ross on the couch when someone's flicking him skittles. <laughs> He's like a whale eating crow, folks. <laughs> but um, yeah, lazy's the word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, my better half definitely says they're lazy. I'm like, nah. Efficient, so. <laughs> but yeah, hundred percent. And but you can see it too, like geeking out again, like a river, a fish. Saying one of these rivers that I spend a lot of time on, it's a totally different animal to a cod, even a Tenelequin on the mm. Edward, or a cod in Eildon, which is just like a slob. And like these impoundment fish are growing so quick, like we're seeing growth rates that, yeah. It's like, well, if this one point, supposed one point eight fish meter, one point eight meter fish ever existed, which people say did, which yeah, is another story. If it ever existed, we should have beaten it well and truly by now, just with the growth rates we've got in impoundments. But then a fish out of one of our faster flowing rivers is it's a different animal. Fights harder for a start. Um, like if you really want to, if people say Murray cod don't fight, like. Bullshit. Yeah, that's not true. Yeah, connect to like Ross has been yeah. with me on almost some, lost a finger. I reckon. Yeah, you, you did. <laughs> yeah, Ross, and this river in particular, I'm talking about. Like, um, actually, the this the photo that you guys are using that come out of a clear, fast flowing river. That's I'll oh, just traditionally a trout stream. I wouldn't be surprised if this fish had a few trout in the stomach where we caught it, and yeah, it was white knuckle, ten weight, fast current. Um, it beat the crap out of me. And those 90 centimetre, 90 to a metre fish in these fast-flowing environments, yeah, for some, whatever reason, it, these turbocharged fish, and they're this animal built to their environment, essentially. I want to uh, give you a bit of a scenario here uh, and let us know what we do next. So we've gone to the fly fisher. We've got our saltwater rod. We've got a line that matches up to that rod, and we've bought some cod flies. We've gone down to the river, and we've cast that fly. What's next? How what, do, what was your leader? Because, well, okay, so we've got the right leader. I at the me Ross has tied you up the right leader. <laughs> set you out with the right gear. Well, no, because I'll I'll just go on. You you butt in a little bit because yeah. the biggest one I get if people ring me in that situation is like, oh, I was casting your fly. I had the right line, and I'll be like, how long was your leader? And they'll be like. Seven foot, nine foot, whatever. And I'm like, that's your problem. Too long. Yeah. Way too long. Yeah. And that's the biggest issue we see. Like people are trying to, and, and fair enough, they come from the trout background. They're used to throwing longer leaders. So straight up, I'd say shorten that leader. Why? Um, we reduce, it basically it allows that, that line to carry more mass through the air. So in the, being the fly. So we've got to, what would be normally a fly that's too big for that rod weight. So where, yeah, so that shorter leader, it doesn't matter what fly, what fly rod you've got on the face of the planet, a short leader is going to cast longer than a longer leader. We're cheating physics a little bit. Yeah, 100%. What, so, do you so want to give your leader recipe away or? Super complicated. <laughs> Total length about 1.5 metres, 75, 75. The 75 centimetres of either generally 50 and then tip it for probably want of a better term. <laughs> yeah, the front half is 40 pound for bigger water and 
30 pound for smaller water. And I know you like a, a mono butt to a fluoro tip. Do you want to touch? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Do you want to touch on why you might use mono and a fluoro mix? Uh, depending on the materials. I won't go into it too much now because it's just a... Well, basically mono stretches to give you a bit of shock, right? It does, but um, some fly lines are stretchier than others. Like we're definitely seeing a difference now in these new cores and things. Um, but the big one is if we, we want abrasion resistance on the front end, so that front bits is fluorocarbon, and we want fluoro, if you're trying to mix different diameters sometimes the material will be a lot lot harder and stiffer and you just don't that knot needs to get bite and purchase into itself so sometimes i'll, I'll run a depending on the material sometimes i'll often run a, a mono butt section of the leader just so that front bit of fluoro which does all the work will can bite into the mono and get a good knot all right so we've well let's go back to the original question we've yeah. we've got a good leader yeah. We've got a good fly. We've cast it out. What are we going to do with the rod? What are we going to do with the strip? What are we going to do if something bites it? What fly fishing? A timber toad. Okay. So you're going to be largely... So based on that toad fly, which was like become famous originally from the tarpon scene, but then has gone the world over, that toad profile's just become a fly that's worked exceptionally well on a range of species. Literally all I did was tied it on a different hook and um, trying not to sell myself too short, but added a structure guard, weed guard, um, so we can throw it thick into timber. But it, in my mind, it does a really good job of, of a pretty generalistic sort of representation to a fish of a crustacean. And Murray cod in particular in rivers and anywhere when they're sort of 70 centimetres and le less in size, because of some fish nerd that I live with, her work has shown that they've got a very strong preference for a crustacean-based diet. So we're trying to make that thing look like a yabby or a shrimp in the water. So it's literally going to free float down on a tight line, so you've cast in as tight a structure as you can get it. It's going to fall through the water column, and why I'm saying fish it on a tight line, it gets bit on the drop as much as it does when you retrieve it. What are you, what are you doing with your rod? You know, so, you know, you... You're a trout fisherman, you've cast that dry fly upstream, it's coming down, the rod might be at a 45-degree angle pointing up and you're stripping line back in. Are you doing the same thing for cod? So it depends on how much current I'm fishing into. So I've got a bit of a beer belch going on here, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when if, if we're fishing to a bank out of the boat, for example, out of the drift boat, I'll often get people casting on a downstream 45-degree angle just to allow that fly time to sink, or if it's a quite a fast flow and we're trying to bomb it into a pocket off a log or something, I'll say as soon as that fly lands, throw an upstream mend, because it doesn't matter how fast of a sinking line you've got, that mend's going to allow that line to actually work the way you want it to work and get down and sink. So we may throw a mend in. If you're on foot in the same situation, you're, you're going to position yourself so you're either downstream of the log and you can cast into the lee of the log. Same thing, you might throw a mend in there. Or if you're on the upstream side, exact same thing, throwing slightly down, throw a mend and drift that fly into target. Now, if you're fishing a fairly slow-flowing environment or a pool on a river or something or even on a lake, 
you're not going to have to fight that current as much. So you can cast out, let that fly sink. So with the subsurface presentation, so with the timber toad, for example, you're going to let that fly sink, drop through the water column and, and get to a depth where... So I think the key thing to remember, doesn't matter if you've got a surface fly or a subsurface fly, a Murray cod's eyes are on top of their head. So they want to feed anywhere from where they're sitting to the surface of the water. So And that's how we want to fish our fly. So we don't want to let our fly completely bomb them to the bottom. We want to get to a point where we're comfortable. We think we're, we're, it's, it's covered a lot of the water column on that initial sink. And then for a timber toad, for example, I like what I call the rip, rip pause retrieve. So it's literally rod tip on the water so you've got that tight line contact. And if you do get bit, you're going to hopefully not do the dreaded trout strike, guide's best friend. But it's rip, pause, whack the cable, rip, pause. So, you know, we, we're we not on, we're on radio. So that fly is literally, think of it like a jigged retrieve. So it's going to go up and down in the water column. Now, I'd say 90% of the Murray cod that are lost on a guided trip with me uh, because the old trout strike happens. And it's a hard habit to break. So anyone from a saltwater environment, we talk about a strip strike. Before we get into striking on the fish and what <laughs> happens when the fish actually eats the fly, you've talked pretty specifically about fishing a timber toad in this strip. Um, what did you call it? Strip? Strip paws. Strip paws. Yeah, rip uh, paws. Rip so paws. rip paws. Does the rip paws, is that something you use for any subsurface cod fly? Sometimes. So if I've got like one of these larger swimming style flies so so these big big flies we use on the impoundment where we might be so a lot of the time they're an articulated fly so we're we're adding a join one or more joins so we get if we fish that on a rip pause we actually get this beautiful side to side walk action under the water the same fly if we fish it with a shorter strip not as long it basically doesn't walk as far, if that makes so it doesn't go as far left to right under the water. So some days you'll mix up your retrieves purely just to see what the fish are doing. Um, like any fishing, I guess. If just you, like trout, hundred yeah. percent. If you've got a woolly bugger on, and you know, some days they want the old roly poly, mm. strippy, strippy. <laughs> got to get the carrot fly out, whatever. <laughs> the carrot Roscoe he's mentioned your carrot Fly of the week Yeah Rotten, rotten carrot <laughs> As I said An avid listener Yeah <laughs> um, um, And then yeah Same same side of the coin Surface flies So it's A lot of the time It's It's Like flies I personally take the viewpoint A fly is I design or adapt a, an existing pattern for purpose so if i'm trying to imitate um a, like out here on the la- these big lakes the fish are often eating other fish so we're trying to imitate we're trying to imitate other fish so we want to, we want to fly with a lot of inbuilt inherent action and essentially looks like a fish under the water if we're throwing a fly like a timber toad or as yeah 
that timber toe, like I said before, is that crustacean yabby shrimp profile. So we want to make it look like that under the water. It's actually rare that I'll actually fish that fly purely variation. It's a, it's essentially the same that rip pause retrieve, but just slight tweaks or variations. And it's either depending on where that fish, where we're fishing to, um, or how the fish are reacting on the day. Sometimes they might just want to s- like slow lift up and down, or they're in a lot of the time if they're planted close on the bank. It's that as soon as you give that fly that first rip, as soon as you pause, and the way I imagine it, well, the way it happens is that fish sees that fly rip out from where it just was, screams out, and as soon as that fly pauses, just sucks it in because it, it's that yabby. Like if you ever fortunate enough to drop a yabby in a cod's tank that hasn't fed for three weeks, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking from some experience, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we did a summer trip in December a couple of years ago. We, you were telling me to strip flies as like as fast and as hard as I could. Yet here in the middle of winter in Ilden, it's much slower, right? Yeah, a lot of the time slowing down, and it's it's out here. It's that fish that. They don't necessarily want it super quick this time of year either. And a lot, like, all the fish are a bit slow at the moment, except maybe those trout that we see tearing around. But I guess it's it's funny. Like, in winter we, we slow down, and then with the fish like cod, there's the other side of the coin too. On a super hot day, you might slow down too. So basically two things. You, you're trying to... If you speed up a retrieve, and this isn't just cod fishing, it's so many fishing situations. If you speed up a retrieve or, or an erratic retrieve with a lot of starts, stops, you're trying to get a reaction bite out of a fish. On the other side of the coin, you're trying to get a an imitative response out of a fish. So you're trying to make it really look like their food is on the day. Um, yeah. How much of that is annoying a fish too? Like if you can keep your fly in the zone, in front of their face for so long that it just annoys the shit out of them, yeah, that that can generate a bite too. Hundred percent, and and cod are classics for it. So the two reasons a cod eats a fly is the obvious one is it's hungry, or the other one is you actually got in its face enough and you pissed it off and you'll get a territorial response out of a fish. Um, we literally saw on this live technology today one cod full-on chase the smaller cod. <laughs> yeah, like um, I think we saw them as two kind of, uh, I guess there's no other way to describe them as two kind of round orbs. And then as we the boat got a little bit closer, you could make out uh, everything. And then one fish just turned. You could even see its mouth open and, and go for the other one. It was it yeah. was incredible. So they're high, highly territorial fish, um, not just to their own kind, but anything that's alive as well. Um, but maybe, then, maybe not our flies though today. Yeah, it happens. But, but exactly what I was about to say. So that same fish that we say is highly territorial, when you're watching a fish in an aquarium, observing its behaviour, one day there'll literally be yabbies and shrimp crawling all over that fish and it's like it doesn't exist. And then the switch gets flicked and the first thing that happens is those yabby and shrimp go to the furthest points of the aquarium <laughs> and you see that, fi- that fish just slowly start to get a little bit agitated. And it's like, and then it's, yeah, lights out. It'll, it'll feed first. It's and a it, killer. Yeah, it, it literally is. It feeds first 
and then it kills shit for the heck of it after it's done. Wow. Yeah. Oh. How unique is that to Australian native fish? Because you do have some experience with, you know, other species and, like, it, it's it's pretty it, – it's strange, isn't it? It, it's, it, it is an odd behaviour, I guess. I'd say I'd, if Katie was here, my better half, I'd probably be looking at her and she'd probably be shaking her head or something. I think there's other species of fish that definitely are similar. Um, I th- yeah. Like a pike, a muskie, do they fit into a similar kind of category as I our native so, fish? I think so, yeah. Yeah, but different. Feel definitely fill a different niche. Like they're generally a shallower water species for sure, um, and and aren't as structure orientated. Like I think they will lay up in weed beds and reeds and things, but by and large, they seem to be on the on the move a bit more. Have you caught northern pike, Andrew? No, been I haven't. There. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, would love to. Have you? Yeah, a couple of small ones um, in the UK, um, and I've dived a lot with them too. <laughs> did you fart, Roscoe? No, I didn't. No, I, I did. It's, it's you smelling this cabin. No, I did a smelly burp. Oh, was, that was for the what, first yeah. time. I've heard a story that maybe you can shed some light on it. I heard that when the Yarra got stocked, it was a guy catching them in King Parrot Creek and horse and carting them over into the Yarra. You're nodding your head. Is that true? Yeah, I told you that. Oh, I got that from you. Yeah. <laughs> and I also Fantastic. mentioned it earlier in this podcast and said, oh, if you want to geek out. You yeah, but you didn't up. really go into full detail. Uh, so he wasn't happy with the the then population of fish in the Yarra. So he decided that he was going to um, stock, go work out the closest point on a map, on the obviously on the western side of the range from Melbourne, where he could get Murray Cod first, and he also got Macquarie Perch as well, which happened to be ended up being King Parrot Creek. Um, so we're st- there's still a population of Macquarie Perch in King Parrot Creek now. Yep. Any cod? Not sure. I haven't heard of a cod out of there for a long time. Maybe down lower. Stuff's really changed. Like it's oh, of course, it's hard to fathom. Um, and literally went did two trips over there, horse and cart, oak barrels, caught the fish. And literally jumped on the horse and cart and brought them back over the range and stocked them into. It wasn't in straight into the arrow. It was into one of the feeders. Yeah, he's and a busy guy. Yeah, he must have cool way story. too much. Highly time, motivated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> highly motivated. But now the Yarra population of Macquarie Perch, because I do a lot of work on Macquarie Perch from a research space, is from a genetics point of view proving to be extremely important because it's allowing us to put genes back into the Murray-Darling Basin population because we've ended up with this bottleneck population of all these isolated little pockets of fish. So they're genetically very poor. So now we've got to try and genetically enhance the fish from other populations of fish that got stocked out of the population a long time ago. Mm. Any questions, Peter? What do, do you want anything to say to Cam? No, not really. Um, i got the, one. Um, I'm picturing... You know, where I grew up in Delinquent in the Edward River. Slower moving river with lots of timber in the water. So um, downstream of Denny? Yeah. It down- actually hoots pretty hard above Denny. It does, yeah. True. Um, but yeah, let's just take slower moving water as an example with uh, a fair bit of timber in there. Um, what kind of structure and things are you looking for to actually cast the fly? What do you What do you look for as a feature where you're like, 
Mm. That looks like a spot that could hold a cod. So I think, I think by and large, people almost try and overcomplicate reading water, and I'm not just talking cod. So, like, we jump in the trout world for a little bit. Even a trout doesn't want to live in the fastest flowing part of the river. I think people say that, oh, trout, clear, cold running, beautiful water, fast flowing, trout are everywhere. Well, no, they're not. They physically can't hold everywhere. Now, a cod's no different, but... So that trout may still be in fast water, but it'll be tucked in behind a boulder or a riffle looks fast, but a riffle's actually the current's not that fast because it's quite an even pace. So that structure in itself for a trout. Cod are no different, but they take another step because they're such a highly efficient predator that they're going to sit in even slower water. But you think about it, if we go back to Ross sitting on the couch with someone flicking Skittles to him, do you like Skittles? Yeah, why not? Yeah. It's always took you more of a Maltesers man for some reason, but... Uh, 50-50. But if he's going to sit there and that current running past is flicking him Maltesers and Skittles, that's where he wants to sit. And it's no different in a river. So... It might mean, though, you, that you're casting into the flow a bit to swim your fly into that pocket. And in my mind, that's the, the the key thing. You can just go guns blazing, bang, throw throw onto a snag and hope for the best. But if you can use the current to your advantage, which we can do with a fly quite well, and swim your fly into that slower pocket of current. And, and move that, it, throw it. Yeah, so it looks natural to the fish. Hmm. Then the other classic one is literally stand on if you're on the bank or if you're on, in a boat, do it from the other end in these in these more uh, our western rivers, very different to an American western river. But if you're on the bank, work your way around the snag, but start at the base of the log and then throw. We'll start just downstream, throw onto the outer branches, take a few steps forward, throw onto the middle branches, and then you're going to end up at the base, which is the root ball, because the whole gum trees are in the river. And then you can work parallel either side of that log all the way back to your feet. If you're in the boat, it's the other side of the coin. You're going to work out the length, work the length of the log. Um, but are, you, are you ever fishing the downstream side of, of the log? I'll fish both, but you'll always find your most active fish on the upstream side of the log. Yeah, They're always there. So the log is still – that is considered the holding spot for a cod. You, you'd be focusing on those areas more than you would long, flat, uh, devoid areas of timber. Yeah. So if you're on that same river early or late in the day or even night, you'll often get fish will patrol all the way out on the sandbars or into more open water, no different to what we ideally want to see out on a lake lake system except just happens on a bigger scale and they're often the biggest fish in the river and they're there to find that that smaller carp or silver perch or whatever to eat out there cool so during the core part of the day you'd be looking more for structure that can hold a cod and then early morning late evening you're thinking more the cod could be anywhere right now because they're they're out and they're patrolling and they're feeding often like there's always there's always an outlier but by and large, often in the middle of the day, that's when we really 
concentrating or I'm really saying to people, get your flying closer, get your flying closer. If there's a bit of shadow, hit that shadow line or get in there even deeper. Like you won't get a hit during the hottest part of the day or even when the sun's up, at least in a river, unless you're in that shadow line. As soon as the lights come down a bit, you'll see those fish will come out off their holding point a little bit more. Um, and like you talk, like we, we touched on that front side of a snag, like back in the electrofishing days, well, still do a bit of it now, but once upon a time we did a lot more boat-based electrofishing. I could tell on days when cod were in a really active feeding mode because we're literally catching most of our fish electrofishing on the upstream side of snags. It's just chalk and cheese, like, and and you don't really think about it, but then the light bulb goes off. And you're like, hang on a minute, like you can do that same section of the river the day before, and keep in mind this is when a boat's going up the river with a generator, <laughs> and you're pumping out a thousand volts out of the front of the boat, and those fish are still like, nah, got to sit on the front side of the log. Is there any way to tell when they're in that more feeding mode than when they're not? Your best sampling tool is a fishing rod. <laughs> I it's like the only, answer. It's the only way you can tell. Yeah. It's, just, it's like anything. Yeah. There's nothing to stack the odds in your favour. Well, yeah, don't cast where the fish aren't. <laughs> yeah, good. So advice, but you don't yeah. get heavily invested in the moon and... Oh, wind's my biggest... Wind. Yeah. Um, I'll happily stand on Trout Lake. Throw, I've done it with you. <laughs> Throw in the wind all day. Kind of slow. Yeah. But I think there's a fair bit around moon rise, like when the moon's actually rising. We've seen that firsthand. Um, and my biggest one, like people talk about barometer and things, increasing fish activity. I always find the build up to a significant weather event. So normally that build up into shitty weather. And you'll get like a bite period 12 to 6 hours before it often. Katie's tank work showed that. Um, there's this huge, say it all the time, and like shit, did a presentation of that Vic Fisheries conference and had this guy just literally come down and like beating his chest at the end. He's like, it's all about barometer, I've proved it. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like, and because that's your theory. Honestly, I've got theories. The guy in the other boat's got theories, but. Nothing beats time on the water. Mm. But when it, like, you'll hear me say, like, I got off the water today and I was like, oh, it was windy and that was hard. There's certain things that you just, you do know it's going to be hard. Um, when that wind swung around to the south today, I know I mentioned it, but yeah, my brain was like, oh, this just was real hard. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, <clears throat> we didn't have good weather up there. You know, no. we, we had wind, we had a lot of rain. Um, you know, there was times when we were trying to move from one spot to the other and the rain was hitting us so hard that it was hurting. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it may be an expectation for someone listening to this that wants to try and give this a crap to try, to try and catch a meter long cod. It, it's not easy. It's not for the faint-hearted. No, it's a time thing. And I think, and we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Social media just portrays this picture now that, Everyone's banging me to cut every day. <laughs> and probably are, but it's still this you still gotta work for them. Doesn't matter what method you got what you you're doing, you still gotta work for these big fish especially. They don't have to feed every day. So just keep that in mind. Let's just talk about your operation 
um, with River Escapes because I think one of the great packages that you offer is combining a bit of trout fishing with some cod fishing. Just tell us a bit about a day with you. Yeah, so we can, we can literally do the same. We can fish for cod. We can fish for trout in the morning and fish for cod in the afternoon if we want. Like that's how close these like sometimes we're on the same river. Um, but by and large, I do do a lot of multi-day trips with people, and we might we might fish for trout one day, either drift boat fishing or on foot walk and wade fishing. We can be in some of the most stunning country in the in the hills, like when in our mountains, um, chasing trout. Um, and then the next day we can be a little bit lower down, chasing cod, drifting, drifting a river. Um, the beauty of the multi day sort of trip is that it it lets me have you on the like if you pick a two day window, I'll say today's looking way better for cod than tomorrow, just based on my own personal experience. So a one day trip for cod, you wouldn't recommend? No, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, if that's all you can do, we're going to go and do it. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. But if you can, I'll, I'll say... Um, I'm and, and presumably if it's if it's blowing bad, you're not going to be on Mawala. No, and we've got that option. Yeah. And like I do a lot of multi-day trips for cod too because it's, it's chalk and cheese too. Like I know you've you've experienced with us, like Mawala is just literally a flooded red gum for us. Then an hour, an hour up upstream somewhere, we're on one of our smaller rivers, and it's just like, oh, this might be a trout here somewhere, but no, we're banging cod. So, um, do you ever bang a big trout when you're catching cod? Early season. Yeah. What about last yeah. year, yeah. <laughs> Peter? Yeah. Yeah. I do, You've got yeah. a microphone, Peter, yeah. speaking <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wasn't directed at me, but <laughs> last year we did. Yeah, we did. We're out here, and we nearly did it today. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of trout followed our lures. Hey, um, so trout trout aren't scared of taking big flies, are they? In this lake, in particular, yeah. I think the whole streaming game in Australia definitely doesn't get done enough for trout. We've got a lot more big trout in Australia than I think we realise. We don't fish for them half the time, and that's just because we're not targeting them. Maybe with bigger flies in in these kind of waters. Yeah, or the right time of day too. Um, fishing at night. For for the listeners, I've done a bit of fishing with Cam, and whilst we've we've sat down and, and talked uh, a lot about cod and cod being Cam's specialty, I can tell you that on a trout river, this bloke absolutely tears it apart. Like he is <laughs> unbelievable to watch. Like he can bow and arrow cast like no one's business, and uh, and work his way up a small stream and pick out a. Um, you know, a, a current line, just to the to the inch, his fly is exactly where it needs to be at any time, um, and a hell of a good guide for for trout as well as cod. So, if you're ever looking at combining the experience of of targeting both trout and cod in the northeast of Victoria, there is no better man. Cam, it's been a bloody pleasure to sit down with you and um, Thanks, you know get a bit of your your knowledge on our podcast. Um, and I'm sure it won't be the last time, mate. So thank you. Yeah, no, thanks, boys. It's a bit of an honour. Thanks uh, to our panel, Roscoe yeah. and Peter. Yeah. It is. Pleasure. <laughs> Let's, uh, yeah, it was a good one. Regroup yeah. tomorrow. Less wind and bang one. Tomorrow's a new day. We're on Lake Eildon and uh, with a bit of luck, we'll um, do some damage. Thanks, guys. Thank you.